I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. He was a man of the earth. He was a man of his word. He was a man who worked hard, who was worth his own salt. Artist, a joker, and kind to a fault. He was strong. He'd right wrongs. It's just what he did. He worked with his hands. He was an honest to goodness, hardworking man. Stood by the notion as strong as he stood. If you feel that you can, then you should. Build the foundation and planted our roots. He built us a path with the mud on his boots. He built up the notion he'd rather be man among kings. He was good. Building things. Brandon J. Ellis most recently appeared on Broadway as World War II vet Davy Zladek in Bandstand. His other Broadway credits include the original companies of the 2006 revival of Company and Once, which he also reprised in the West End. He also starred in the first national tour of The Play That Goes Wrong. His off-Broadway credits include August Rush, Missed Connections, and Balls, the musical, which he also wrote, and he is in the process of writing a new musical called The Drum Bridge with Drew Gasparini. His TV film work includes 30 Rock, Vinyl, and Shake, Rattle, and Roll. He holds a BFA in acting from University of North Carolina, Greensboro. Hi, Brandon. Hey, man, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks so much for joining us on American Theatre Artists Online. We're so glad you were able to participate. <laughs> I'm glad you're able to have me, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've been wanting to talk to you for a while. You know, I I know that you've um, appeared in some really interesting Broadway shows, and you were part of, of some really great casts and um, some, you know, the revival of Company once. Uh, and you got to originate a role on Broadway, uh, the role of World War II vet Davy Sladek in Bandstand. I mean, those are pretty amazing things. Yeah, it's, I've been pretty, pretty darn fortunate so, uh, with my career up here. Yeah, so we want to have you on to just talk a bit about your, your career uh, on stage and also just a bit about how you got there. Because, you know, well, before we even dive into all the things that you've done, you've got off-Broadway credits, TV film all sorts of different things, and we want to talk a bit about everything if we can. But um, before we go into that, it's been a year and several months of, you know, shutdown because of this uh, quarantine that we're all in, under or have been under. Um, how, how have you been holding up? Oh, doing okay, man. It's um, It took a pretty enormous toll on my mental health, I would say. Mm. Um maybe also on my physical health um i uh you you take for granted as an actor that most people work to live Mm. and actors live to work and we have a lot of our identity wrapped up in what we do and um you sort of really realize how much of it when it isn't an option anymore 
And I, this is a story that a lot of my actor friends, art, other artist friends, were uh, were feeling is that you, you sort of felt out to sea. Like, who am I anymore if I'm not? I've spent my entire life trying to achieve this one goal. All of my decisions were measured out to try to, you know, be a successful artist. Um, and now that that everything is taken away, um, who, who the heck am I? Mm. And so that was a thing that was a lot for, that was a pretty big existential crisis to go through during the pandemic. Um, you know, you're the first, then, uh, I've, I've interviewed over 40 some people since I started this mm-hmm. podcast last year. And you're the first one to really put it that way and be really honest. About Interesting. It. Yeah. yeah. Good for you. Yeah. It's, That's what it felt like. Yeah. It's tough. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you've been living on stage for so long and doing all this work, you know, needing an audience and being with other people in a live space, this must've been a devastating year. It really was. Um, I was fortunate enough to, I did get to shoot a little TV show mm-hmm. in there, but you know, it was three, four days of work. Um, and I got to do a commercial in there that was like two days of work. Um, so like there were scattered things here and there. Cause that was all that was happening. It was very controlled, small TV things. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no theater at all. Mm. And uh, it was tough, man. And it, um, you know, took toll on my physical health. Sure. I tried to, because it wasn't, that was another thing I realized that, you know, I, it, staying healthy is important to me uh, regardless. It's a, it is a, um, uh, it's just always been a part of my life because I was a, I was a heavy kid. So uh, mm. I had to take a lot of care to like figure out how to not be, a heavy adult. Mm. Um, but another thing that I realized when the pandemic hit was that a lot of my reasoning for being in shape is to be an actor. <laughs> right. Because you're, <laughs> so you're going to be on stage and people are going to be, you know, looking at you, judging you supposedly, I guess, or you also the yeah. physical, the physical stamina that it takes to do like what you do in bandstand or, you know, to, yeah. to, to do those shows. People, some people yeah. don't get it, but it's, it's insane. That's a huge workout. It's a lot. Yeah, and, and it, so it's interesting that when that was taken away, uh, and you know gyms were closed, but so right. like all I was being able to do was like work Are out you, to my. But yeah. I, and long story short, I gained twenty pounds during the pandemic. Wow! Because um, yeah. I just I wasn't I had my life kind of measured out in a way that I lived to maintain what I had. Yeah achieved Mm -hmm. and all of my coping mechanisms all Mm -hmm. of the things i do everything was taken away and and it's not like this is a isolated thing i mean everyone went through this of course but yeah in different um, ways everyone reacts differently but you know full disclosure i gained 14 pounds and lost them as well i wonder if a lot of people went there you go yeah through the same thing and i was also someone who was very active in choreographing shows and it's like you know, on my feet all the time, and then suddenly er, everything stopped, and you're like, "Okay, what do I do?" I'm, you know, how many Netflix shows can I watch, and how much pizza yep. and beer can I? Drink? <laughs> you know, it's like at some point. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was about uh, probably about a loaf of banana bread a day. Oh, um, banana bread! That's interesting. That that was your go-to. It's very comforting. It's very comforting. It's probably what um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. pretty. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty. <laughs> my uh, my fiance yeah. got super into baking. And oh, so during her during the pan- <laughs> yeah so dur- during the pandemic she would bake you know she would experiment she'd bake banana bread or yes. she'd bake another thing or she'd yeah. bake cookies oh my she has the uncanny ability to be able to just like have one right control I don't have that portion control yeah that's <laughs> difficult well so yeah, you know I don't have that the, so my, this- my coping mechanism was eat as much as I want and then go you know work it out right and the thing is if you have no place to go work it out if you have no stage where you can go and be with other people or a gym or you know the social aspect of it if you've got to just sit at your home and do it by yourself that takes a whole other level of discipline that a lot of people just don't have like me and the DVD yeah, player turns, or whatever and the, you know. <laughs> yeah it tur- turns out that that didn't work for me I was not able to maintain the uh, you know my health that way so did I'm you- uh, starting to get Go ahead. No, sorry. I was go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say if you started if you got into writing at all it, it, because I know that you write. So I was wondering because some people I've talked to have moved, turned to that other side since they couldn't, you know, writing's a very one-on-one or two-on-one or depending on how, you know, who you're writing. Sure. With. Did you turn to some of that? I'll tell you. 
I uh, I am a writer and I have written mm-hmm. things, and but I'll tell you that something about this pandemic, mm. it took it took my passion away temporarily, mm-hmm. and I just every time I sat down to try to do something, yeah. I could I couldn't stay motivated, mm. and I, I uh, it was um, yeah it really meant this is another thing I think a lot of artists went through is I just I felt kind of like a failure because I was like why can't I motivate myself like. I shouldn't need someone else to see something because I, it's for me to want to create it. But like, there was something about at that time, we just didn't know if we didn't know like what the future was going to look like at all. And I, am I ever going to be able to do this again? Who knows? Um, Well, there's something about (sighs) the creative, the creative spirit that people talk about. I don't know if you ever experienced this. So, um, and I think I'd love to write a book or I'm not great at writing, but I, you know, I wish someone would write a book about it, or maybe they haven't and haven't read it. But um, something about when you're preparing for a creative project, like you know a show's coming up, right, that you've been casting, and you know it's you have a date of when it's going to open. Um, and or I'm choreographing a show, and I know when I have to get it done by, right? When you know that, your brain starts to get into that gear, and about a month or two before, you know, you're doing research and all that, but I mean, the month or two before you actually have to deliver on that creative project, your brain starts juicing up, right? Your brain starts, really, you have dreams, you start having, your brain engages. And when you don't have an actual deadline, or you don't have an actual thing to deliver for us as actors or performers or creatives, it can be sort of deadening. And so those juices don't flow. You're right. And that's what I was kind of stuck in, man. Yeah. Try Like I, I sat down and I was like, I should like write another album or try to work mm-hmm. on all these musicals. I got tossed up in the air that I never finished or, mm-hmm. um, but it just like, honestly, at that point, um, it was also, we all, a lot of actors and my writer friends and everybody, we were kind of like, how are we going to survive? Because we at all, like, it's not easy to figure out how you're going to survive as an artist. And so once you finally figure that out, like, that took a lot of, <laughs> a lot of work yeah. to get to a place to where, like, the rent's paid, you know, food's on the table, I'm comfortable, and I'm an artist. That, that is not easy. Mm-hmm. So that was all pulled away. And mm-hmm. thankfully, I had, a, I had a day job that I had done in between gigs doing real estate. So I pivoted 100% towards real estate uh-huh. uh, and just told, I told my boss, look, I know I'm not usually full time. I'm willing to go full time. Nobody else is here. Just fill me up. Cause I want to like, I want to be able to just, I want to make as much money as possible so I can support myself, you know, get ahead right now and not fall so far behind that. Cause one of the worst things as an artist is when you have to say yes to everything. Cause you can't, you can't pay your bills. You want to be in a place to where you can, if you want to say, or like you can't say yes to this little off Broadway play because it doesn't pay enough. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, like you don't want to be in that place either. Right. So, um, sure. well, I just, I turned completely, yeah. so I turned completely towards survival for the last mm-hmm. year. Just yeah. work a job, make some money, survive, keep your head above water so that when the industry comes back, you're comfortable and you're not, you're not deep in debt and scrambling. So you can, you can seize opportunities when they come your way. And you've spent some time doing something else other than theater that actually could inform and could add to your art when you do go back. Because, you know, there's so many theater people I know who just do theater, which is great. That's their life. That's their job. But, you know, uh-huh. as someone myself who's had a day job my entire life, I never stopped having my day job that has nothing to do with theater. Uh-huh. I, I'm now watching my theater friends who just were doing theater, surviving, like you said, figuring all that out, having to pivot. And I've been really proud of so many of them who have done like what you just said, gone into real estate, other friends who've moved to another state and started, you know, a company or others who did a startup or others who went to babysitting or, you know, uh, I don't know. There were just so many different creative outlets that people found the theater people, you know, they always know how to land on their feet. And that's, what's really amazing even during this devastating pandemic. But anyway, let's move on and talk about happier things. Cause I mean, it's my fault. Cause I asked the question, <laughs> but, uh, you know, You've worked on, you know, three, at least three, but I, more than three overall, obviously, but I mean, three very different shows on Broadway specifically that I wanted to talk about because they're just, the three of them are in a way so different. And I'm sure they probably have some similarities that you've found, but, you know, you worked on Bandstand on the 2006 revival of Company. Was that, that was the one with Raul Esparza, right? As, as Bobby. And then uh, Once. So let's talk first about Bandstand. 
So what was it like originating a role and the role of Davy Sladek specifically as a um, World War II vet in that show for you? It was a dream come true, man. I mean, when I moved to New York, um, agents, uh, and when I got my new agents that I still have now, they sit you, really common, they sit you down and they go, you know, what's your, what is your goal? And my universal answer, one of the first things I said was I want to, I want to originate uh, a role in a new Broadway show. That's, that was one of my lifelong dreams. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's that huge part of it to just actually achieving that. Cause that's like, I mean, I know, it's like playing in the NFL, like not just, not a lot of people get to do it. Um, and, uh, a lot of it hit home for me because my whole family were vets. My grandfather's vet, my dad was a vet, his dad was a vet, you know, so on and so forth. Um, mm. I'm one of the first guys in the family that, you know, didn't serve. And uh, I got it, I imbued a lot of that character with stories from my grandfather and from my dad. And uh, it, um, it just like that, being able to play that role and put my stamp on it. And I, I really was from the inception. I mean, w one workshop happened before I joined that cast, but from that point forward, I was, I was with it every step of the way, every part of the development. I did every lab workshop reading, hmm. you know, sitting in people's apartments, doing the reading, you know, performing it at Lincoln center, doing like every single thing I was part of. So I really got to, grow it and work with working with a director like Andy that's so collaborative mm -hmm. and with artists like Laura and Corey and all the guys Jeff and James and Joe Carroll and all the and these musicians like Joey Pirro and Alex Bender and, and Beth getting Level. to like oh god getting <laughs> you know just sit, sitting right. back and letting Beth Level do what she does and right. learning from it yeah um but Beth Level's dressing room almost became our like green room we kind of just hung out, out in there all the time who doesn't want to spend um, as much time with Beth Level as they possibly can? I mean, I died. <laughs> I know. She is the best. What man. an experience. The lab, yeah. the, one of the, the lab that we did at Lincoln Center, a bandstand, um, they kind of got it on its track to go to Broadway. Beth was in that. Um, mm. And I hadn't met her before. I just admired her. And uh, I sat down on the couch with her. And I mean, within minutes, it was like I'd known her for my entire life. Yeah, she has, she has that ability. I don't know where she gets it from. I don't, is it a North Carolina thing? <laughs> Maybe it's a North Carolina thing. How <laughs> was, was my North Carolina accent? Probably not very authentic. It's probably some more Virginia. <laughs> but anyway, so so you are here you are in Bandstand. Here you are on, on Broadway getting to originate uh, a role and a role that's close to your uh, family experience with the World War II vet um, playing that story. Did you... Um, and you get to originate it, right? So when people talk about originating a role, you leave a stamp on this role, right? That so whoever is to play it in any other production in regional high school, wherever Bandstand goes as a show and is done uh, throughout the world and the country, um, you're the one that kind of put the stamp on that first, you know, the first time and they, they're kind of basing it off of that, right? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, which is pretty incredible to think about, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Isn't that cool? So, so you based it a lot on, on, on your dad and your grandpa and were, did they get to see you in the show? Uh, no, unfortunately. So my grandfather and my dad, my, my dad died during, um, tech. Um, uh, my, oh, wow. so he never got to see it. Um, my grandfather was too sick at the time and he passed shortly after about a year later. Mm. Um, so neither of them got to see it. Uh, he was really trying. He, Sure. He even told my dad told his oncologist he's like just get me to opening night, <laughs> but didn't uh, he didn't make it. Um, so that was obviously that made it a, an incredibly challenging, the most challenging time in my life. It was living one of my lifelong dreams while also experiencing the absolute worst thing that's ever happened to me oh, in my life. I can imagine, and you know, I was about to say, you know, I've had to perform as I think all of us have with uh, deaths and family, and then you have to go on anyway. I mean, what do you do? You know, I had some, some of those circumstances, but not, not like that. And so I can imagine, especially with this particular show and how close you were uh, with that particular character. Um, but, then you, but then you do it sort of honoring uh, for them, right? And I think that's kind of yeah. how I, I was able to do it. Uh, they live on in that character that you created. 
Sorry, I'm trying to make you yeah. cry. I'm like Barbara Walters here. Sorry. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. wonderful. No, I mean, that's such a great experience. And so Bandstand was one of those shows that I felt um, did it's such an interesting show. And did, did you play an instrument on stage? Yeah. What instrument yeah, did yeah. you play? I played upright bass. Ah, oh, wonderful. And let me ask you a question because I have this out of curiosity of someone just kind of looking at your resume. Was pl- the fact that you play an instrument instrumental haha in in uh you're getting a role in the 2006 revival of company as well oh yeah for sure yeah we all had to be acting musicians in that that was sort of the beginning of the trend of that being a thing was uh you know sweeney todd and company yeah exactly right during that year the doyle um the doyle productions right the director um john doyle Mm -hmm. uh so what did you, what instrument did you play in the company? I'm just curious. In, in the company revival, was it different? Uh, yeah, in company, I did play upright bass. I also played cello, guitar, drums, and uh, okay. God, what else? Okay, Mister One Man Band. Let's talk about all that. So, <laughs> so what happened? Yeah. How did you get? How was this something? I, I assume as a child, music was part of your life. Oh yeah, yeah. My originally, I spent most of my life. Uh, thinking I was going to be a concert cellist. That was the, mm. that was the original goal. So wow. I played cello. I started very, you know, when it, most people start like around maybe third grade. And um, I was not a good student uh, and kind of a rough kid at the time um, mm-hmm. for lots of different reasons. And then I started doing music and it is amazing. It turned me around. I mean, immediately. I literally went from we're not sure like Brandon, like I was, I started, I was skipping school when I was in like elementary school. Like I was, wow. I was not a good student mm-hmm. and I started doing cello and I got it, it turned completely turned my life around. I became a, you know, uh, I went from, we're not sure if he's going to be in school at all to the academically gifted and, you know, I mean, going, you know, getting focus, an IB program. The and focus of crazy. music, right? Music focused, focused your energy. So what was the yeah, first, instrument, what was the first instrument you were drawn to? It was, uh, well, you know, it's funny. I wanted to play bass, but I was too small at that time. So they said, well, here's cello. (laughs) So that's how I, that's how I picked up cello. And so I, um, uh, and I just really, really took to it. I immediately, it became, you know, the most important thing. And, uh, I happened to have a knack for it. So I, uh, uh, sort of excelled in it and, um, that opened me up and I played that. I was a musician exclusively until probably oh, my sophomore year of high school. And then I got, somehow I got drawn to theater. I can't even remember what really drew me in, mm-hmm. but I, um, I got drawn into theater and they uh, initially, oh, it was partially because they wanted me to write some chamber music for a production of Twelfth Night. So I did. Uh-huh. Um, I wrote, wrote some chamber music for that and just kind of played in that. And then I, I liked it so much that I came back and auditioned and then uh, did not get cast at all. <laughs> and then the, ne- the next year, I did get cast. And uh, that's sort of like I got bit by the bug. But I never put the music down. I always stuck with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and throughout the years, I picked up other instruments, um, taught myself guitar and taught myself some other strings because I had had... Once you have like a lot of... Ex- like I could read music. I mm-hmm. played a lot with symphonies. So I... Picking up other, it's not that it's easy, but once you learn one, it makes each subsequent one a little, a subsequent one a little bit easier than it would have been had you not played sure. a stringed instrument before. So the string um, instruments switch, are well, sort of. I mean, like switching from a bowed instrument to a strummed instrument mm-hmm. or a picked instrument is not easy. Stricking, uh, switching from a solo instrument like the cello to a corded instrument like the guitar. I mean, you could solo on it as well, but mm-hmm. um, is that wasn't easy, mm-hmm. but it was during a time where that all I wanted to do was just pick up as many as possible. So, um, I would just teach myself things. And then when I moved, when I moved to New York or when I went to college, my, I, I decided to study acting, mm-hmm. but they still encouraged me to keep playing and they would use me as a musician in shows, yeah. uh, when I was, you know, first starting my BFA programs and sometimes like, you know, there wouldn't be enough space for everyone in the department to have a role, but, I would still 
get to be involved as a musician and get to write some music for, I think I also, I got to write a score for Winter's Tale in college, which is cool. Um, yeah, so that, that music was a, basically what got me started in this whole thing. So there's always been a connection between, you never really let it go, right? A connection between music and theater for you. And obviously if you're, uh, if you are close with music, then theater and musical theater um, is a known language for you. And it starts to, was that transition? Did you find yourself um, when you're in college and then uh, going into, you know, getting to New York and all, did you go straight to New York or did you do some regional stuff first? How did you, how did you find your way to the, you know, to New York City? The Big Apple. The, um, uh, big yeah, so the, not to say. Yeah. <laughs> <You> <laughs> the, uh, the transition to musical theater was kind of intuitive. I mean, in high school, there was this guy that his dad ran the local professional theater. So um, when I started getting bit by the bug and he noticed I had kind of a knack, I didn't even know I could sing. I had never sung before until mm-hmm. probably I was a senior. And he came in and he was doing musicals. And I, my school hadn't done any musicals at that point. And uh, he was, you know, they're like, can you sing? I was like, I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so the first musical I ever did in high school was assassins. So mm. it was, it was like a complete trial by fire, like mm. doing Sondheim as your first musical, having never sung in front of people before. Right. Um, yeah. when my, when my parents came and saw that musical, they were like, they told me, they like literally turned to each other and they're like, did you know he could sing? I didn't know he could sing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing better <laughs> than I never your, done it. your parents just reveal, <laughs> reveal, you know, they know you better than anyone. So when they say stuff like that, you're like, Oh God. Um, yeah. so, so I had, yeah, I, yeah. Did you use your instru- instrument playing in that production of Assassins? I did, as the balladeer. I was about I to say, were you guitar. the balladeer? <laughs> yeah, well, it was like this hybrid thing. Mm. I, they, um, there wasn't a ton of guys doing theater, and there certainly weren't a ton of guys doing theater that could sing. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they took this, he took the idea of the balladeer and made him the voice in a lot of the character's head so that I could sing their songs for them because they oh, couldn't wow. sing. Wow. So I was the balladeer, but I also sang all of Shogash's songs, all of Hinkley's songs, all of the proprietor's songs, mm, all of a, a lot idea. of people's songs. Huh, what a neat solution. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Smart guy. <laughs> so that was your first foray with Sondheim right there in, in, in college. But mm-hmm. but who would you did you ever know and do did you ever even imagine while well, that was high school sorry high school sorry sorry high school thanks yeah. so here you are in high school doing a Sondheim show as your first show did you ever imagine or think one day I'm gonna be on Broadway in a Sondheim show in this case kind of- <laughs> nah man see that that's another thing like growing up a kid from North Carolina having never really gone anywhere Broadway is mythical it's yeah. like these people are superhuman and it was um, you just oh, you just listen to cast albums and you picture it, but you never really see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that idea, it was I knew that's what I wanted, and that is immediately what I set my. When I got bit, I was like, I think I'm going to do this. And then after I did, after my about halfway through my senior year, I decided. Decided I was like, I'm no longer going to go for music. I'm going to go for acting. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, and what's what's crazy is I ended. I went to this. I was going to go to UNC Greensboro for music. It's a great music school, mm-hmm. um, but I just cha- I went. I ended up going to the same school anyway for acting, and because it, the it's like man, it's like the best kept secret in the South. Like it is a state school mm-hmm. where you don't go. You know, two hundred thousand dollars in the debt, and those teachers are awesome. It was I've such heard great training. Many wonderful things, and I have a good friend who went to school there for film. And she really uh, liked it yeah. as well. So it's, it's an interesting, it's like you said, it's a little hidden gem there that people don't know about. So mm-hmm. um, that's fantastic. Yeah. And so you get your BFA, uh, Bachelor of Fine Arts there in acting from UNCG. Um, mm-hmm. Then what? Like, are you like, holy cow, what do I do now? Like most um, BFAs, you know, just graduated. Did you go straight to New York? Did you <laughs> build your, your regional resume? What, what did you do? Well, during college, I actually spent a lot of college building my regional resume. I worked in, uh, you know, I did shows every summer. Mm-hmm. So I had a relatively, you know, for a 22-year-old, yeah. I had, a, you know, I had done, I don't know, 10, 14 professional shows by the time I graduated. So mm-hmm. um, maybe, maybe more than that because you're doing so many in those summer stock productions. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, 
but I had a, you know, a fair amount of professional experience. Um, and, uh, but I, uh, I didn't have any money. <laughs> um, so the good, one of the great things about UNCG is that it has a showcase. So when I graduated college, we did the showcase. I got an agent from my showcase. So I already had an agent before I ever even moved to New York. And then I just needed to save up enough money to move to New York. So I moved back to North Carolina. Um, I did some regional gigs right after school. I did, uh, you know, like, you know, Beauty and the Beast at some theater in North Carolina. I did this Wait, theater did in Savannah. Play, you either I, played the Beast or Gaston? Is that? <laughs> I played Gaston, yeah. I figured. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, so then um, I... Uh, it was great. Um, mm. And then I worked at a bar and just tried to save money. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. I had saved maybe, I don't know, a, few, a couple of grand working at this bar as a bar back. And uh, my agent kept calling me. He's like, you got to come to New York. You got to come to New York. When are you coming to New York? And he finally called. He's like, listen, man, I got this audition for Sweeney Todd. You have to fly to New York. Let Just let me, let me know how I got to get you here. So, he uh, he flew me up. I went and auditioned for that production of Sweeney Todd, and went deep into final callbacks. Uh, almost got it. Um, wow. They uh, they went a different direction for what uh, whatever reason, but they Wait, liked me. Are you talking about the Sweeney Todd, the John Doyle Sweeney Todd? Yes. Wow. The Patty um, Lupone. So Michael Cerveris. The Lupone. So yeah. So deep, deep, deep into callbacks. Final, final, final callbacks. Um, down to me and like one other guy who's the guy that got it and uh for whatever reason didn't work out for me um i was bummed i went back to north carolina to keep earning money and then finally my agent was like look i don't care how much money you got or what's going on you gotta move to new york you're wasting you know you you need to get up here and get working i can get you work trust me so he's like here's here's the deal i got a client he's leaving the city his apartment is in on the Upper West Side, it's a thousand dollars a month. Wow! Here's his phone number. Move to New York now. So that's what I did. I called the guy. I took his apartment. I moved to New York like the next week, um, and I had you know like two suitcases, my cello and my guitar. That's it. Wow! <laughs> and uh, yeah, I subletted this room for a thousand bucks on the Upper West Side and uh, started and. That, you know, I'll tell you what, he was my first agent and he was an excellent agent. I had some bad agents. I've had some good agents. My current mm-hmm. agents are the, are awesome. Um, this, uh, he was awesome. He kind of spoiled me. I didn't realize how good I had it until he <laughs> left the business. Um, but, uh, and then that's, that's what got me started in New York. So you, and then it's like knocking on every door, going to every audition doing everything you know that you can to get yourself seen and be seen and at that point you were seen for Sweeney Todd by John Doyle so is that how the 2006 revival of company happened for you that did John remember you <laughs> he did not um, <laughs> life, so life in the not at all not at all um, in fact nobody seemed to remember me which uh, was a, a lesson there um, <laughs> but because uh, I I foolishly thought like oh it's the you know same casting director same director right. that's what i was like thinking. of course yeah they'll see me for an audition mm-hmm. um i couldn't get an audition for company uh they wow. my agent tried and tried and they would not give me an audition so um he was like look they just think you're too young they, they don't want to see you okay. i was like all right well i'm gonna get seen so mm-hmm. i just waited and those shows are daunting. So the great thing about those is at the time I was a non-equity actor, so I couldn't go to ECC or EPA or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and open calls are usually just a shit show. Like you can't, it's yeah. your wait, you're there at 4 a.m., you're waiting all day at this, at this particular time. Mm-hmm. Um, you, pr- you likely won't get seen. So, but I was like, I'm going to get seen. So I just kept crashing auditions until finally I was at one where just like nobody showed up. There was nobody there. So I got in and I had my instruments with me and I prepared and stuff. And so I went in and I auditioned for the first round. I got a call back. Um, my agent was like, you know, hey, listen, now they want to see you. I was like, all right, cool. So then I, uh, I got my next call. So that first one was like meeting an associate, um, like an assistant. They passed me through. Then I met the casting director and she goes, why haven't, why didn't you get in, why didn't your agent submit you for this? Why haven't we seen you before? I was like, he did submit me. You guys said no. 
<laughs> and uh, they were like, "Nah, we wouldn't have. Uh, we wouldn't have said no." I was like, "All right, cool. Well, um, <laughs> at that point, who whatever. cares? You're already in the door. <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> at that point. yeah. So then, you know, I got you know called back again and called back again, and it was I don't know like seven callbacks for that. Um, and then uh, I was at I had gone back home to North Carolina to visit my girlfriend at the time. I was at her house when I got the call. But, um, huh. I think it was Rachel Hoffman from Telsey at the time yeah. Yeah. called me and was like, hey, you're making your Broadway debut. Um, wow. And I remember going, okay, like, what do I do? What do I do now? And she's like, well, you just say yes and you do it. <laughs> right, exactly. And the rest and will, will happen. That's what I did. Wow. And so um, what did you learn? Like, I, I, I'm sure you learned everything a lot but what was the one or two things that you learned from being in that first production on broadway for you what was it like and in, in that revival of company oh man uh i learned a lot uh i learned it's a lot harder than it seems because i was cast as a understudy mm-hmm. um so i was standby for david and paul and uh mm-hmm. i learned that that is the hardest job on broadway right yeah. No, no question about it. There should be a Tony Award for understudies. It is, mm-hmm. it is so hard, and I was not prepared for how hard it was going to be. Yeah. Um, now, of course, you compound that with you. You're learning two roles, and also you're learning all of the instrument tracks for all of these roles, and every role plays multiple multiple instruments. Um, right. For those for so, those listening, I mean, I'm sure almost everyone listening to this podcast knows about John Doyle and some of the, the ways he does his some of his productions, but the whole playing of instruments. So all the all the characters play an instrument on stage uh, at some point. Yeah. 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 And what that really I it I uh, you know I did a pretty good job, but I made a you know I made I, I, I did my job, but I made a lot of mistakes. I could have done it a lot better. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was very young. I was fresh out of school, you know, 23 years old. And I, um, I, but what I, I took a lot of it to heart. Mm-hmm. And what's so great about it is I, I never forgot how hard that was. And then I got the same job again at once, mm-hmm. but at once, instead of two roles, it was five. And instead of five instruments, it was 15. So you had to slightly expanded for what you had just done, what you did before. So- yeah, but what was, what was great, though, is that I immediately went, okay, I know what this is. Mm-hmm. I know how hard this is. You could build it. I know what I have to do. Yeah. And um, it allowed me to attack it with a plan mm-hmm. um, that allowed me to do it. For, for that one, I was able to do you know, a much better job. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned, and I'm not going to let you get away with it because you mentioned you made some mistakes. You don't have to list them all, but uh, mention one one that you think was a mistake that you did that you then later corrected. Obviously, as you've gone on and, and learned and, and moved on, yeah. one thing you wish you had done differently. Well, something you learn as an understudy, uh, especially when you're covering multiple roles, mm-hmm. is that you can't. There's no like set it and forget it. There's no like you know, okay, I got that one down. That That's not a thing. Mm. Once you get it down and you get all your stuff down, you have to constantly like um, figure out a system by which to always make sure it's fresh in there because mm-hmm. you have got so much stuff swimming up there and you don't, once the, once the lights are on and there's 2,000 people in front of you, you don't know, you don't want to be in a place where you have to think. You, it, it, you, you can't be there. And mm-hmm. so that's what I learned. I and I remember some of the people at once, they're like, man, Brandon, you are always like, like, they're, you know, when they're like chilling, they, they, they got everything down. Like, You're always like practicing and, and like yeah. redoing stuff. I was like, listen, guys, I'm telling you, there's going to come a time when you're tired and you got 10 minutes notice because someone didn't show up in the theater yeah. and you go out there and you're going to be like, oh, crap, I haven't run this particular thing in my head in months because mm-hmm. I was working on this other thing. Mm-hmm. So. What I learned about it was just to come up with a system to keep everything as fresh as possible. Yeah, and you took all of that you learned from that and brought it into once, and since it was a much bigger uh, endeavor and more, you know, 15 <clears throat> instruments and a lot more roles, you were better prepared. Yeah. That's amazing that you could build on that. You know, I've, I've, I've been a swing before, and I've been an understudy. I've done both. I've, I've been a swing in a big musical and, and covered six roles. Uh, that all did different things. And the the one thing I thought you were going to say about a lesson, and maybe this is another lesson, is don't assume you're never going to go on. 
because oh, God, he will yeah. go on. And, you know, I remember I ended up going on 15 times uh, in that one production <laughs> for five different parts of the six. So, you know, I'm glad I learned them all. <laughs> you know, it's yep. like uh, you never know, right? Yep. What's going to happen. And I'll tell you, man, the uh, – not only are you going to go on, you're going to go on for the role you think they're not going to put you on. Exactly. It's always going to be the <laughs> one. Year. Yeah. And, you know, and then the one time I was super duper prepared and I was understanding a role in D.C. here at the studio theater, I, I um, knew it backwards and forwards because I had had that experience, right? Like you said, learning from once. And then, of course, in that particular instance, I never got to go on. All the other understudies went on and none of them were prepared. I was prepared. And the, the director came up to me at the stage manager and said, of course, you're the one that doesn't get to go on. You know everything. <laughs> so yeah. Like, it yeah, doesn't man. work that way. So, so you were prepared. So, wow. So you had trial by fire there in, in both company and then, and then in once. How was the experience at once? Was that, were you able to at least relax a little bit more in that one? Uh, after a while, I'd say for the first year I practiced every day. Sure. Um, and I, I had to, and when I say practice every day, I mean, I ran every single part, mm-hmm. every, every single show. I ran the show beginning to end twice. Wow. Um, it was, that was the hardest job I've ever had it with my life. It also ended up probably being one of the most rewarding because I, when I first, so I got cast and uh, I, I remember I, when I auditioned, again, I've told you, I'm, I'm experienced with stringed instruments, so I was very confident that any string I didn't know, I could probably learn. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I already played cello, guitar, bass before I auditioned. For the audition, I learned ukulele, mandolin, and, and, and uh, four-string banjo. And uh, then... At the audition, they were like, do you think you can play five string? I was like, yeah, I can learn it. So I learned a little thing. And then when I got cast, I set, oh, oh, and drums, of course. I, I played a little drums and I learned more drums um, once I got cast. And uh, then I go, I get cast and it was very few. I mean, it was like seven months of auditions, callback after callback after callback after callback, work sessions. It was so exhaustive because it was for the original Broadway cast. Mm-hmm. And... I, you know, we got, I remember after the final callback, me and some of the people that had been in the callbacks together, we were like, you know, we got to know each other pretty well because we were seeing each other all the, all the time. Yeah. We went and we got hammered, absolutely <laughs> hammered. We went across the street and I was like four beers and three shots of Jameson in and uh, I get a call, uh, my buddy gets a call on his cell phone. He goes outside, he books it. I get, I, and then the cat, the, he was like, hey, uh, I'm with Brandon. And the casting was like, oh, hand the phone to him. So then I get the offer on his phone <laughs> oh, wow. as well. And I'm like, we're, you know, we're freaking out. And they're like, okay, you're going to uh, – you got the offer. So we got, we, we, got, we got the job, but we're talking – it was another six weeks before I ever heard anything. So we were like, did they change their mind? Like, what the oh, heck happened? Yeah, that's terrifying. And then yeah. – Yep, and then like on a Sunday night at like nine p.m., I get a text from the stage manager, and they're like, "Hey, be at the theater at ten a.m." That and that's that's how it started. So like we wow. we we weren't sure. So then I get to the theater, and we're there for ten out of twelves is when we got cast, and uh-huh. um, or when we started working was when they were in ten out of twelves. Sure. So we go to the theater, we sit down to observe ten out of twelves, and then I observe that there's a lot of people playing a lot of instruments that I don't play. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so one of the big ones was I'd never played piano before, ever. And I had to play piano in that show. And I don't know if anyone here knows what it's like to learn piano from scratch uh, in your 20s. <laughs> yeah, no. uh, It ain't like, it's, it's not easy. No. And so I literally had to, one of the other understudies who was a really good piano player, I just had to have her sit with me and hand by hand teach me piano backstage so that I could be prepared and they, of course, assured me that that would be the last thing I would go on for. And it was not. <laughs> I was going to say, you went on um, for it, them. It was one of the first things I went on for. And uh, and the guy that originated this piano part in once, he, he played Jerry Lee Lewis, the Million Dollar Quartet. He is a piano player. I was going to say, yeah, it's <laughs> that, kind of pedigree. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and you had to play the piano standing up while it was moving. Like, it was, you know, it probably wasn't difficult piano for him, but for me. It was. And so uh, 
I just practiced probably six hours a day, every day. Um, until, you know, to my hands cramped up, but I got it down. And, uh, one of the first things I did was I had to play that on national television. Wow. Oh, <laughs> I had to play God. that role. As part of, was it up as a part of like an, uh, something for uh, promoting the, the show? It was performing on America's Got Talent, yeah. Oh, to promote just, the show. Just that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Just, just a uh, national TV audience of millions. Just a national TV wow. audience. Wow, no but, but you did it, Brandon. That's what's so amazing, right? And you got through yeah. it. And, and that, yeah. And, and what's, what's crazy is my experience with company meant that when I sat down in that theater and started freaking out, I was like, I don't know if I can do this, mm-hmm. but I know if I can, this is how. And uh, mm-hmm. then I just, you know. So, and I, uh, achieving that was huge. That wow. was huge for me to well, finally, finally get that right. Well, clearly music plays a big part in your whole uh, theater um, experience. And, you know, I know it's not everything that you've done, but clearly it's it's been a support for you. It's both emotionally and artistically. It's been something that you've used uh, throughout your major um, highlight, highlights of your productions that you've been in, particularly on Broadway. And that's good. I think it's wonderful, especially since it comes from your, your, your time as a young person, as a child. I think that's fantastic. So let's move away a little bit from performance and let's talk a bit about your writing skills because you have an, an impressive uh, resume when it comes to writing, particularly um, of, of, of new shows, right? So you're putting together new, new pieces. You wrote an off-Broadway musical called Balls, the musical. I, did. I have to. I have to pause <laughs> after balls. So uh, that that caught my eye. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, uh, so, what was balls the musical like? What, what what was the concept behind that? Yeah. So that was at a time. So one thing you learn as an actor is that, uh, and it's hard to take this to heart. Uh, that um, Jason Alexander wrote in one of his books that uh, acting is like living your life on a monopoly board. That you, you work your way all the way to Park Place and then you're back at go again. Mm. And so after I did company, I thought, oh, great. I've been on Broadway. Now mm. I'm, you know, I'm a Broadway guy. Like, it's just, you know, that now I'm going to do Broadway stuff. Mm. And it was five years before I booked another Broadway show. Yeah. So A lot of people I, don't, that, don't know that until yep. they've experienced it. They don't know about it. And people not in theater don't understand that theater careers are, are roller coasters. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you're lucky you work at all. Yeah. So, um, after company, I went through that period of thinking things were going to be, you know, that that's what I was, that was going to be my life from then on. And then the reality hit and then my agent left the business. So I was agentless mm. and I was back to working at a, you know, working at a diner in hell's kitchen. Sure. Um, and you know, here I am with my Broadway credit going, well, that that's not how I thought this was going to go. Sure. Um, so I started, you know, just going like, how can I get my career started again? So I started taking class and I got into this class with a guy named Greg, Craig Carnelia, who was also a writer. Oh, yes. And he, ta- he ta- yeah, he taught an acting for the song class for a long time. And I was in that class with some guys, uh, Brett Carr, Tuba McKenzie, hmm. uh, Mick Bondi, a couple of guys. And basically we were all like sort of fish out of water in the industry. Like we're all like kind of like burly dudes that played sports but also got drawn to the arts and we just don't we don't necessarily look like we belong with all these other tall pretty you were straight actors. you were straight guys straight guys in the theater <laughs> i'm just throwing that we out. were straight guys and we just yeah we were we were straight guys but also just like not right. just not just straight guys like we like you look at us and you're like, oh, those guys are probably like smoking cigars and drinking a fifth right. of whiskey and you chopping typical, down wood. Like, you weren't the typical, we the typical musical. We, we we were not, yeah. and uh, we all we bonded over that because a lot of times people just didn't know what to do with us at that mm-hmm. time in the industry, mm-hmm. and um, so we decided let's just like let's write something um, for for us so that we have something to do that we can do because um, even. What, what it came out of is I told Brett this story of when I went to a open call for a musical and the casting call said, we're looking for guys that look like men that work with their hands wow. that, that, that maybe came from the woods. And I was like, Oh, well that's, that's me. Yeah. I grew, you know, I grew up in North Carolina. I did work with my hands. I did come from the woods. There you go. I go to the audition and I got typed out. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the right and, type. Uh, and yes, and the guys that got typed in, I was like, 
if that guy has ever worked with his hands, I will eat my hat. That, they, it was all like gorgeous, hairless, uh, model looking dudes. And I was so like, this is ridiculous. It was really what the, the casting people or what the, the creatives thought that meant. Not really what it was. Sure. Right. Not, yeah, not even close. Um, <laughs> so it was like, you know, watching a show on the CW when you see a casting breakdown that comes out like looking for someone to play a homeless person. And it's like not regular homeless, you know, like attractive derelicts. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right. Like what the hell? I hear you. So, uh, so you, you you weren't, you weren't getting those kind of roles, even though you were the type really for those roles. Yeah. And well, and there just wasn't a ton. There just wasn't a ton for our, for Mm -hmm. our type at the time. Right. And part of that was a product of our age. You know, we weren't quite old enough. So you decide, so you decide to put together a musical together, uh, all of you. Well, initially it was like, we just, we're starved for, to like do, to do something. So we're like, let's write. It started as a cabaret Mm -hmm. and it was called cabaret with balls. And, um, (laughs) it was uh, sketch comedy and, us doing um doing songs mm-hmm. and it started with us just sketch comedy and then doing just musical theater songs mm-hmm. that was the first cabaret with balls then we were like you know what why don't we like try to make this original so then it became let's take the sketches and then we're going to take these songs and we're going to turn them into parodies having to do with sketches and that went really well and then we started to come up with editions, like a Valentine's Day edition and a Christmas edition. <laughs> that people people started to like dig it and come out to see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we were like, you know what? Let's try to turn this into a show. Uh, and it, so it will be a it'll be a parody musical. And basically, it's it was us making fun of us choosing to do theater. Like uh. the it was it's like this was the only place like a straight white. 30 year old guy is a fish is like not the majority <laughs> so, <laughs> like, like, right it's true that that is true but it's you know someone should do a podcast on that because it really is interesting i i remember i i was in a show once and everyone in the, uh, every man in the show was gay except for one poor guy okay the straight guy <laughs> the sole straight guy and he's he's well known he's a well-known broadway theater person i'm not going to say his name but um, sure. you probably know who I'm talking about. So I remember we were doing this show and all the guys were making so much fun of him. I felt so horrible. And I'm one of those guys that <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that kind of gay guy. So I, I was just kind of like, okay, whatever. You know, I just stayed to myself and left the poor guy alone. But they were all pinching him and making fun of him. You know, like all in good fun. But the poor guy was being teased, like a locker room tease kind of thing. Sure, sure, sure. And I was like, poor oh, guy. Yeah. And then what happened was because I left him alone, I think he gravitated towards me because I was the only guy that was like, you know, not being a jerk to him. You know, I was joking, but <laughs> and, he, and he and I like ended up spending a lot of cool time together chatting and talking. And it was great. And I was just like, you know, poor. I just felt so bad for him. So there is there is that niche. You're right. If you're a straight guy in theater, it's like there's not uh, you're in the minority for once, you know. So, so, yeah. so you wrote yeah. this musical to represent represent your people. Yeah, just as like a isn't this isn't this funny that that we're doing this? Um, and it's I mean sort of a sta- a lot of it was like statements on toxic masculinity, like nice. w- like why is it that I that I feel like this is funny for me to choose to do this? Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that a statement on like the industry and society? Like, mm-hmm. I am. It's like it, it's so weird for a guy like you to do this art. Um, so that was, you know, a lot of that was in there, but a lot, it was making fun of us. We made fun of everybody. It was a like knockdown drag out 90 minutes of just straight comedy. And then we, so we got it into the nymph. It went well in the nymph. Um, and, uh, from that nymph production, some people decided to, um, produce it off Broadway for a very short run. And from that, production is how i got a new agent and that uh-huh. agent is how i got once see so there you go circle full circle in this interview but so i mean so you're doing you're doing uh when you when you were part of this this group with working on balls the musical what was your role did each of you have kind of your own role and what did you think was your biggest contribution were you the music guy were you bringing all the music or did several of you work on it together how did that just you don't have to give me the full yeah. but i'm just like what was your bit Sure, it was very collaborative. Oh, nice. But over the years of us creating it, uh, and there were five of us, um, 
we all contributed to everything, mm-hmm. but it so it ended up coming down to me doing a lot of the just making sure things were funny. Um, oh, okay. Sort of my job was to write the scenes, um, make sure the timing was right, flesh stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, Brett sort of settled into the role of organization and producer. Um, and like getting other producers involved and, and wrangling all of us because we're all like at the time we were all like a, a complete messes um, <laughs> and uh, then like Mick was really good at lyrics and he was actually um, we all we started to lean on him a lot for music stuff as well because mm-hmm. everyone is very musical and bo- um, both him and and Brett Brett has a master's degree in music from Boco and uh mm-hmm. Nick also went to Boco, and so did one of the other original guys. And yeah. uh, Tube was a music. Yeah, everybody was kind of a music guy, but also. Um, but you're right. Like we all, everyone contributed to everything, but we all took made like um, majority of our effort went to the things that we we tended to have a knack at, mm-hmm. and mine happened to be uh, the comedy of it. So mm-hmm. right, I did a lot of this. I wrote a lot of the scenes, or edited the scenes, or mm-hmm. redid lyrics, or. Um, situations that kind of stuff that's great i mean you know and so i'm thinking now the connection because you're working you performed and you started with music and then you're doing a lot of performing and then then you know you incorporate the writing the comedy and of course the music's part of that as well as you're creating a musical you have to have some sense of that um so and now you're working on another new musical am i right called the drum bridge with drew gasparini yeah, man. Um, it's in the works somewhere. Yeah, so Drew, Drew and I started um, like brainstorming that before the pandemic in like 2019. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we were like really cooking with gas until we got shut down. Sure. And uh, it's been on a little bit of a hold because Drew got busy with work that actually pays him money. <laughs> hey. And, uh, the, you know, this, uh, this thing that we're working on is uh, hopefully eventually will will pay us, uh, will allow us, uh, income. But right now it's a passion project. Mm-hmm. He's currently like a lot of his energy is on karate kid, but yeah, we're working on it. Right. And we've been talking about getting it started back up again. That's wonderful. So I'm wondering if for you, you see a trajectory in your career since now you've been on this pause and you've been sort of, you know, to a moment away from the stage for a while. Have you had thoughts about maybe writing musicals? or working, collaborating, writing musicals, something, is this something you want to continue to do as you are also parallel performing and playing music? I mean, you want to do all the things or is there one lane that you want to go in more or, or not? Uh, no, I want to do all the things, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say right now, also a lot of my energy is geared towards trying to get more of a presence on television and film. Um, um, yes. But I'll say that I, I am a person that wants to do all the things and I do think that it is honestly I think it's really good for people for actors to not um, don't tie yourself down to one corner of the industry if you are willing to do all of it and there's just more chances that you're going to have work mm-hmm. absolutely no absolutely so since we're talking about TV and film and before we go because we are we are heading towards the end here we're almost out of time which is amazing it went by so fast I didn't even realize Um, but you've worked in TV and film and 30 Rock I need to talk to you about that vinyl and Shake Rattle and Roll and and others among you know that's just some of the things that you've worked on and you want to continue and do more so we'll put that out there in the world anyone listening um, hire Brandon to do some TV or film work Uh, so let's talk a bit (laughs) let's talk a bit about your 30 Rock experience because I listened or heard something somewhere else where you um, Tina Fey was an idol of yours and someone that you oh always looked up to and I went yeah. to school with Tina Fey and she was two years Did ahead. you? Yes, she was two years ahead of me at the UVA drama department oh my God. and I shared um, classes with her. I was on stage with her in Cabaret, the musical, where she played Sally Bowles, which is kind of crazy. Uh, and um, she'll probably be the first to tell you it was crazy that she was Sally Bowles, but she was the sweetheart of the department. And my roommate at the time was dating, was dating her roommate, so I saw her a lot. Um, so you get to do 30 Rock. Um, tell us about your experience working with Tina Fey. Were you, was it everything you wanted it to be? <laughs> It was not, man. I was such a freaking weirdo. Um, so, I, yeah, I kind of like, I just think, especially once I had really gotten into writing comedy, 
and improv and uh, sketch comedy and stuff like that, like you start to just gravitate towards people whose humor just really resonates with you. And I just think she is one of those, her and Amy Poehler and Mindy Kaling, like that whole crew, they are just geniuses. And so I just think that everything they do is brilliant. And uh, I loved 30 Rock. I had seen every episode of it. And um, so I booked this little tiny role and uh, I get there and I, you know, I didn't really know for sure. I mean, I knew we were going to be in a scene together, but I didn't realize how close we were going to be and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And so I was like, oh my God, when I found out, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Like, I'm going to meet Tina Fey. We're going to talk about writing and it's going to be <laughs> so cool. We're going to be best friends. And uh, I get on set with her and she's like, speaks to me. And I was just like, <laughs> and oh. totally weird, yeah. clammed up didn't talk, acted like a weirdo. She was totally trying to be cool, and I <laughs> completely blew it. Um, oh, man. Uh, yeah, the scene was funny, but I acted like a weirdo to everyone that day. Like, uh, James, I was in the, it was Tina Fey, James Marsden, Jane Krakowski, they were all right there on oh, wow. set. Yeah. And I just didn't talk to anyone, and anytime anyone tried to talk, I would try to talk, but it was awkward, and, and like, oh, God, it was so weird. They say it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to meet your heroes. It's hard to meet the people that you really admire and look up to. If you if you didn't really care about you Tina just have Fey, so You have so many things to say. Right. If you didn't really care about Tina Fey, it would have been an easy, much easier for you. But you, you really cared and you wondered. And I you, guess you so. Know, the one thing I will say about Tina from my experiences is, and this has always baffled me because many people don't stay the same. Many people change over time. Her humor, what you see, is literally the way she was in 1992. I mean, it, it was always that. She's wow. genuinely that person. Her Liz Lemon character, I was like, you know, I'm sure it's not exactly her, but um, that's really how she presented herself in college. It's really no different. So wow. it's really an amazing thing to see, you know. So, um, well, it's great, Brandon, that you got the experience at least to, to work with her, and I'm sure you'll have it again. That's what I think. I think it's coming for you. So um, let's, you know... I, Listen, you've done a lot. Broadway, uh, off-Broadway, we didn't even get to talk about some of your off-Broadway stuff. Your TV film work, we just, you know, grazed over. But we'll be following you. We're going to be watching what you're doing, Brandon. And when I say we, it sounds really creepy, like I have a, a band of minions. <laughs> it's really just me. We're watching uh, you. Yeah, the podcast. Uh, but do you have, so, any exciting projects coming up that you want to talk to us about? Any new things or anything you recently uh, found out about or anything um, coming up now in 2021? Yeah, man, it's it's really started picking up lately. So uh, yeah. I just found out today that I booked this little off Broadway play. Um, it's directed by Moises Kaufman, who I've always admired. Oh, just um, him, maybe. yeah, just yeah, that little just known, that, the little known director. Yeah, wow, that's yeah, pretty amazing. So just getting that being the first thing I get to do post pandemic, right. and it's, it's so it's a play called Seven Deadly Sins, and I'm a sloth, and. Um, the way it's an immersive theater project down in the meatpacking district. And it's going to be, uh, basically seven store, it's storefront theater, seven storefronts. And it was, it was originally created having to do keeping in mind what's the pandemic going to make theater. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's uh, an immersive, like multimedia slash performance art slash play. And it's seven, 10 minute plays Wow. And they're each one in their own storefront and the audience walks by with like earbuds and they, and they experience each play in whatever order they want. Wow. And we do each seven minute, each, each 10 minute play seven times a night and each, you can experience the seven deadly sins and whatever. In one in night ever, if you want. Or, uh, right. Oh my yeah. God. And you're, who, who are you playing? Uh, the character's name is Jeff, but it's Sloth. Slot. The, uh, so you're enco- that's, encompassing that's my slot. So are you glad that you gained the weight over the pandemic? Is that going to work for you? <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's going to serve me well. See, Brandon, <laughs> it was all meant to be. It's all full circle. Yeah. Well, well, we're almost out of time, Brandon, but that's fantastic that you uh, have booked an off-Broadway show already. Not a lot of people can say that. And I wish you more and more exciting projects coming up as we head more into this hopefully open period. So if people want to keep updated on what you're working on, where can they go? Do you have, uh, are you big on, some people are big on social media, some website, both. What do you, what do you, where can people go if they want to find out more about this play as it develops and progresses? Yeah, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Machete Thunderpants. 
Oh, and, just uh, that's easy to find. Wait, machete <laughs> underpants. <laughs> okay, just in case. The so if they search for your name, will machete underpants come up? Uh, machete works. thunderpants, and yeah, it should oh, come up. Thunderpants, not underpants. Sorry, machete thunderpants. <laughs> sorry, big difference. Okay, and uh, check that out. And and where else? Are, is there a website? You know, man, there should be, shouldn't there? Someone I don't have should one put yet. one together and, uh, for you. Okay, well, good. Well, we'll, you got to work on yeah. that. All right. Well, but so for now, they can go on Instagram, find you, and keep – I'm sure you'll be posting um, experiences from, from this off-Broadway play and anything else that comes up. You'll let us know and put it on there so people can follow. Yeah, for sure. But thank you so much for being on American Theater Artists Online. You are really uh, quite a unique guy, and you have quite a unique set of skills that are, are that you're putting to full use. I'm trying, man. <laughs> awesome. Well, I wish you all the best, and I hope it continues to go that way for you, and we'll be following. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on here. No, our pleasure. Thank you for listening to the American Theater Artists Online podcast. This episode was edited by Zach Walsh. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. If you'd like to share your feedback or send us comments, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at American Theatre Artists Online.